Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. When I was a kid, one of my favorite home-cooked dinners was pasta with cheese sauce. The cheese at my house was powdered and came in a packet, and you sprinkled it on, hoping that some lumps of the salty goodness did not break apart when the pasta was stirred. It wasn't until I started watching people cooking on TV that I realized you could make pasta with cheese sauce without a packet. What I didn't know then was that I was living in the future, a world in which cooking from scratch has become something that very few Americans do. Indeed, this is a world in which even boiling pasta may be kind of asking a lot. The decline of cooking marks a shift in culture, but it also marks a decline in industries that have been powerful for a long time, like the grocery industry. Visits to grocery stores have dropped nearly 30% in just the last dozen years. Industry analyst Eddie Yoon has watched as this decline, he actually calls it a bloodbath, has taken place. He's the founder of the advisory firm and think tank Eddie Wood Grow. He recently wrote about how Americans are cooking less in Harvard Business Review. Eddie, thanks for being here. Thanks, Cara, for having me. So you've talked about cooking as a hobby, basically, sort of not a component uh, anymore of everyday American life. Why do you think of cooking as a hobby? Yeah, it, the uh, analogy that came to mind uh, was sewing. And I, this is uh, front and center for me because my wife has picked up kind of crafts and sewing uh, in a big way as a hobby over the last 10 plus years or so, ever, ever since we had kids um, and she stopped her job as a nurse, she was looking for something that had kind of forward progress in her life and crafting and sewing was that. And she started sewing, you know, uh, aprons and pillows, but then she started to make these kind of handcrafted handbags for uh, our kids' teachers in elementary school, and people were just kind of shocked that anyone still did this. And what occurred to me was over my two decades that I've done growth strategy work, uh, a lot of it in the food and beverage industry, is that I actually see cooking going that way. And I've I've gotten kind of two major uh, studies that I looked at across consumers and uh, Americans, uh, one at the beginning of my career and one towards the end. And what I was kind of surprised to find was that the percent of people who both love to cook and do it quite often has been cut uh, by a third from about 15% of Americans to 10%. So it wasn't large to start, and it's even shrinking further. So about 15 years ago, uh, about 15% of people said, I really like to cook, and now it's down to 10%. Yeah, and I think I think the nuance is um, someone might like to cook, and I might like to cook one particular dish, or I might like to cook every now and then when family comes together. the The people that I was really looking at was people who love to cook and do it a lot. These are people who love and care about a category and spend a lot of money and time on it. And that was my interesting observation was that these cooking super consumers, they love to cook and they do it a lot. That population is shrinking. And the reason why that's important is that they drive a disproportionate share of kind of food and beverage revenue that uh, is bought and sold at grocery stores. So if only 10% of people like to cook and do it a lot, um, uh, what are the other 90% of people doing? <laughs> Hating life, I think, is kind of what's going on. So you, you have a bunch of people who... They cook often because they kind of have to. They don't really have another alternative. And, you know, kind of as you were alluding to the mac and cheese of yesteryear, that's kind of what their go-tos are because they're busy and they don't have time and they don't like it. And so, you know, there aren't many businesses that can thrive for decades uh, going forward um, when people who do it a lot don't fundamentally care about it or care for it. And so I think that's part of the problem that's going on is that there's a lot of people who cook right now who don't like it and that there are people 
who do like to cook, but um, they don't have the time to do it. And that, frankly, for them, uh, food service or eating out at a restaurant has become a lot cheaper. It's become a lot better. There's a lot more varieties you can pick and choose from in new models like delivery and meal kits. And, and so what's kind of happening is that even though you might like it, but if you don't have the time and there are better options, then you're just going to do it less as well. And it sounds like, you know, you talked about sewing before. It sounds like also when you start to lose a skill in a society, most people do not teach their kids how to sew. I don't know how to sew. I'm not, you know, going to teach anybody how to sew. Um, but when you start to lose a skill, then people stop passing it down. And then their children grow up thinking, I don't know how to cook. Nobody cooked around me. And they ha- they encounter the same issues, I assume. Yes. And I, I think that's the inevitable kind of uh, tide that you see is that is really hard to change. Like you can do something about it yourself, but uh, the inability to get an older generation to pass along recipes and skills and, and, and just kind of uh, the the 10,000 uh, hours you have to put into getting good at something, you know, per Malcolm Gladwell, like that's all just going away. And so you're going to see this gradual degradation of cooking skill. Uh, the bar- and, and conversely with that, um, you have the whole advent of food TV has become really popular, which... Uh, part of the reason why I was surprised by my data was that you figure that with all the explosion of, you know, uh, the Food Network and Ugly Delicious on Netflix and cooking shows and whatnot, that people would be cooking more. But I actually think what's happened is that the advent of food TV and the explosion of it has raised the bar and made it that much more complicated and uh, intimidating for people to cook. And the the, the image that I have is uh, my high school chemistry teacher played the cello, but he's, the last time he played was when he sat uh, next to Yo-Yo Ma in college. And he was so despondent at how good Yo-Yo Ma was and how bad he would you know always be compared to him that he just stopped playing. And I think that's actually more of what's happening now today than not when it comes to cooking. Huh. The bar is impossibly high, and you're watching the yo-yo moss of of cooking on TV. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, we've seen in the last few years, um, and you mentioned this, uh, the rise of boxed meal kits, the kind of like the HelloFresh, the blue aprons of the world. Um, Is that happening at the margins and like not that many people are doing it? Or is this the kind of thing that you think is changing the game somehow in terms of cooking? What is actually changing the game is the delivery aspect of it versus the product itself. So I've been looking at the meal kit uh, space for some time. And what you notice is that there's a lot of churn. Like people aren't particularly loyal to Blue Apron or HelloFresh. And what I'm, I'm unsure of is if they're unloyal to the brand or to the category overall, because to me, um, meal kits are solving for one part of the problem, which is grocery shopping. Um, but it didn't actually solve them for cooking because the meals themselves, they take you know 45 minutes to an hour. And um, I think there are a few that are doing better that have meals that are under 30 minutes. But really, um, to me, unless the bar gets to below 15 minutes or so, then I don't actually think meal kits will survive in, in the long run. Um, because number one, it's still uh, a lot of work cooking. They're solving for shopping, not cooking. And remember, the premise of the whole piece that I have is that Cooking is what's going away and is the hardship there. And the second part of it is I, I think that it's a little bit too highfalutin in the sense that the recipes are pretty exotic and they're kind of designed for people who have nothing but time to cook and try new things. And my sense of that is that the people who have that time would either uh, learn how to do it themselves or they'll go out to eat. But um, I don't think that the model is quite solved for it just yet because they haven't addressed the fundamental problem, which is people don't like to cook as much. 
You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. I'm talking with Eddie Yoon. He recently wrote about how Americans are cooking less in the Harvard Business Review. You've talked about that uh, grocery stores, perhaps, and maybe big food companies, too, have to kind of rediscover a commitment to, like, technological innovation. And I just wonder if you can talk about, like, what are you talking? I think to a lot of people, it's like soup, cereal. How is that technological? Where is technology to be found in that equation? Yeah, great question. So this is kind of requires us to take the wide angle lens on the food industry. And so canned soup or the, the whole notion of canning food was a technological marvel 100 plus years ago in that Ironically, the food industry was ahead of kind of Louis Pasteur's pasteurization theory and, and kind of science on that. And that a lot of these food companies, you know, Birdseye created the frozen foods category. And, you know, at the turn of the century, you had kind of um, uh, the advent of electricity, you had the automotive, and you had refrigeration. And these are the things that kind of came together to create the frozen foods industry. And so that, that only happened as a result of the same kind of technological advancement that we look at today with in the internet and social media and mobile phones. It's, it's very similar in that regard. And that in the notion that these um, food companies were ahead of science in terms of uh, uh, bringing new innovation. So if you thought about, the, you know, in a world where things were not uh, refrigerated or preserved, canned food was an amazing innovation that probably saved a lot of lives. And I don't think people think of food and beverage brands as things that save lives anymore. And partly, I, I think it's a little bit of, you know, the brands today think of themselves as marketing and innovation companies. And they believe that their job is to come up with the next color of a label of a can or to come up with the next ad that makes people, you know, smile and want to buy their food again. And they've kind of lost their way as, you know, you were once technological giants on the order of Facebook and Google and Amazon. If you were to go back and re-embrace the technology that's there, and if you look at uh, what's going on beyond meat and impossible foods, the kind of whole plant-based meat phenomenon is pretty remarkable. And the notion of being able to re-embrace technology again, I think it's just such an untapped opportunity. And most of, I know a lot of these big companies and a lot of the executives who run them and the R&D people there, I think are some of the brightest people, but some of the most lonely in that they are sitting on technologies and assets that it's just hard for them to convince the business leads to bring them to market because they might actually pose a threat to the core, current core business. And so I think people are kind of stuck in a catch-22. Do you have a sense, can you see forward a little bit as to what some of those technological breakthroughs might potentially be if food companies were willing to give them a shot? Yeah. So there, the my one that is my favorite right now is called MATS. It's the acronym for Microwave Assisted Thermal Sterilization. And uh, it's a fancy way of describing how do I make food shelf stable or at room temperature safe to eat? And so if you think about what, say, canned food is like Chef Boyardee, right? right. Um, the way that it can stay room temperature is that it's put through a process where it goes through a lot of high pressure and a lot of high heat. And that's how they kill all the microbes in it. But it ends up destroying the food quality as well. So you get kind of mush coming out of it, right? Um, MATS is a technology that uses microwaves and, and very kind of pinpoint algorithms to identify where specifically to preserve the food. It's done very quickly, relatively speaking, uh, without min a lot of temperature. And so what it allows for, it's, it's actually FDA approved. It's commercialized in Japan and Belgium. But Kara, it would allow me to create a, a, a freshly piece cooked of, say, 
co-host salmon from the pack northwest and i could package it and leave it at room temperature for weeks if not months on end and the reason why that's important is that i, I think consumers are still going to have a problem like oh wait you want me to eat that piece of salmon that's been out there for three months maybe not but it allows for really innovative distribution in that if you think about say like one of the predictions that i have is one of the big food companies will kind of wake up and realize that they should buy domino's pizza in part because uh, pizza is a legal narcotic and people love that but they are an amazing <laughs> technology company right i mean not only distribution from a driver's perspective but um you can order pizza on an app they're testing autonomous driving with a partnership with ford they are as much of a tech company as they are a food company and i think of a world where domino pizza or uber or uh, eats is going around and there's wonderful shelf stable quality foods that are in the back of the trunks ready to serve people on a moment's notice and that um, this is important because the same microwave assisted thermal sterilization what it allows for is cleaner labels because you now have an incentive to put better quality ingredients there fresher ingredients that you can preserve and sterilize and this is a technology that i know amazon and whole foods they're looking quite closely into but a lot of the big food companies have had this technology or have been aware of it and they're not really doing much with it because they they lack the imagination or the risk tolerance or the business model to really commercialize it. And so, you know, in, in some ways I don't blame them. And in other ways, I, I kind of wish that they would do more with it. But I actually think that this whole issue of food insecurity could really be solved for with, you know, better shelf-stable foods that are higher quality. The notion of food inequality in terms of uh, you know, lower income people not having good access to good nutrition, act, that problem can be solved for with this technology. And I just, I'm waiting for somebody to figure out how to make uh, money on it because that's the way that it'll get commercialized. But there's great technology out there like that that are just waiting to come to the forefront. Hmm. Um, I mentioned the huge decline in people making visits to the grocery store, uh, 30% dip in just the last dozen or so years. Um, and as a consequence of that, a lot of uh, companies that sell food in the grocery store are hurting, Campbell Soup among them. Um, are there grocery stores or it could be other kinds of food stores that are making it work, that really are bringing people in? Yeah. So um, the the ones that come to mind, so there certainly are very strong glimmers of hope there. So Trader Joe's obviously has done quite nicely as an expanding. And in, in part, I, I think of um, <laughs> the, the reason why it's such a small footprint is that I think I always think of it not just as a traditional grocery store, but it's probably the world's greatest convenience store with great snacks and candy. Right. I mean, really, that's what it is. It's like there's some produce and some meat and wine there, but um, there's lovely amounts of chocolate and candy and chips and other snacks that are really kind of delectable. And that's what kind of brought, brings people into the store. And uh, they have figured out that, you know, you need some baseline of produce and and frozen foods that they've made a big bet on. So I actually think that um, when you go into a Trader Joe's, you see kind of the future there in terms of what they've gotten rid of and what they've kept and what they've expanded there. Because they the, the relative shelf space that they've allocated is actually quite smart and uh, future-looking as well. And then there are other chains like uh, Amariano's in the Chicagoland area where you can buy freshly cut pieces of uh, meat and they will grill and cook it for you right then and there, which I think is a very nice compromise where you could um, still buy uh, fresh, as it were, but, you know, you kind of get the either the convenience or call it the expertise. You know, the guy, the guy at Mariano or the gal there that's running the grill, 
that prob- person probably has 10,000 hours into how do you cook a perfectly you know, medium rare steak, but you don't have to worry about doing it yourself in a way that ruins something that's very expensive. And so I right. see that a lot of grocery stores, either they're changing the assortment that they have or they're adding value added services um, where it's a little bit of a hybrid between um, shopping and they're doing just a little bit more of the cooking. Uh, you're going to see kind of, um, if you think about the gulf between buying in a grocery store and cooking it yourself at home to eating out, every version in between will exist, I think, in the next 10 years, uh, which is why I don't think that meal kits are exactly the answer, but it's just one part of the full equation that's about to come forward. Hmm. Eddie Yoon is the founder of the advisory firm and think tank Eddie Woodgrow. He recently wrote about how Americans are cooking less in the Harvard Business Review. We will link to it at our website, innovationhub.org. Eddie, thank you so much. Thanks, Kara. This was fun. We'll have Yoon's Harvard Business Review article about the decline of the grocery industry at our website and more about the rocky path ahead for food companies, whether they sell soup or cereal. That's all at innovationhub.org.